Welcome to our Sunday School on the book of Jeremiah. Let me uh, open our time together uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do uh, praise you and lift high your name this morning on this day that you have set apart um, from the foundations uh, of the earth, a day on which uh, we acknowledge uh, that we find our rest in you and you alone. Uh, we thank you uh, for the privilege to, to hear you speak to us uh, through your word um, and through the words of prophets uh, like Jeremiah. Pray that um, we would not uh, be a people um, who are so committed uh, to our, our ways and what we think is right that uh, we would be unwilling to repent uh, when confronted with your word. Pray that um, as we see uh, the people of Jerusalem uh, attack your prophet uh, this morning, uh, attack him for, for nothing more than proclaiming uh, your saving words to them. Uh, we pray that um, we would uh, not uh, stiffen our hearts um, uh, and, um, and refuse to listen, but that we would be um, laid open by your Holy Spirit, that we would see our sin, but we would also be emboldened uh, to proclaim your word, uh, to proclaim your truth um, regardless of the response that um, our hearers might give it. So um, strengthen us uh, both to repent of our sin, but also to speak boldly uh, of those truths that you've revealed to us. Uh, give us your spirit this morning, the same spirit that spoke to the prophet. May its spirit and that spirit guide us this morning uh, into all truth. Uh, concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us uh, most of all to fix our eyes on him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 26. And while you're turning there, let me just briefly recap uh, what we did um, last week. Uh, so last week we described chapter 25 was kind of a pivotal moment. Um, some people... Uh, use chapter 25 as the kind of dividing point of the book of Jeremiah. Um, it refers to events in the fourth year of King Jehoiakim's reign, and we'll learn later in the book of Jeremiah that in that very same year of King Jehoiakim's reign, uh, Jeremiah pr presents the king with a scroll of all the prophecies that he had proclaimed up to that point, and Jerem or King Jehoiakim uh, cuts the scroll and, and burns it in the fire. Um, so some people see chapters 1 through 25 as, as being that scroll that King Jehoiakim um, burned, that uh, the contents of those first 25 chapters reflect um, what Jeremiah uh, presented um, the king with at that moment. But it's also a pivotal moment um, as we talked about last week, and as Jeremiah emphasizes, it's the moment where Nebuchadnezzar becomes king of Babylon. He defeats the Egyptians in the Battle of Carchemish. So the prophecies of chapter 25 came at a very pivotal moment uh, in Judah's history. A new world power had arisen, and it's this power that Jeremiah had been saying is coming. And this was going to be the power that would capture Jerusalem and take Judah in captivity. Uh, in a sense, the Nebuchadnezzar's uh, coming to power is the beginning of the end. 
So when Jeremiah urged the people in chapter 25, as the other prophets had done before him, to, quote, turn now every one of you from his evil way and his evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old and forever, his words have a degree of urgency um, because of that beginning of the end. And as we'll note, uh, Judah and its king do not repent. So Jeremiah says they'll be taken captive for 70 years. The other thing we saw last week, as though the judgment starts with the people of God, it, just not, it does not end there. Uh, in chapter 1, we saw Jeremiah was called not just to be a prophet of Judah, but a prophet to all the nations. And in chapter 25, we saw him delivering that prophetic uh, um, message, faithfully living out his calling. Even as God used nations like the Babylonians as an instrument, uh, he called Nebuchadnezzar his servant last week, uh, to punish Judah for its violations of the covenant, so too does God hold those nations accountable for their sinful actions toward his people. As we uh, talked a lot about last week, chapter 25 emphasized that Yahweh is the king of, uh, of all the nations. He is, it, uh, chapter 25 really emphasizes his sovereignty, and particularly his sovereignty in judgment. Um, a key word we talked about a lot last week uh, is this idea of wrath. Um, and particularly the cup of wrath that God tells Jeremiah to, to make all the nations um, surrounding Judah uh, to drink. Um, and this reminds us of the judgment that all humanity deserves for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and the, the aspect of hope we drew out of this last week as the New Testament picking up on this cup of wrath um, and, and, and teaching us that Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath that we deserve. So that cup of wrath um, that should be poured out upon us, consumed uh, and consuming us, uh, our Savior um, took that wrath upon himself. So in chapter 26, um, again, Jeremiah takes us to a different moment. <laughs> uh, again, we go backwards. Uh, in his prophetic career, going to the first uh, year or the beginning, uh, as it says, of the reign of Jehoiakim. Um, and Jeremiah gives us a description of the message he preaches in the temple and then the people's response. Um, and if we take the dated prophecies in Jeremiah, this is the earliest one. Like, there might be earlier ones that he didn't tell us, like, this was in the re reign of you know, King Josiah or something like that. Um, but this is the earliest one where he says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. So, um, so keep that in, in mind as we read it. Um, by now, his message should be familiar to us. Um, we've seen repeatedly the temple and the city would be destroyed unless the people repent. Um, and that's the message he gives again here. As we will see, rather than turn from, their, from the evil, the people turn on the prophet, accusing him of blasphemy. And in chapter 26, Jeremiah goes on trial for his life, for speaking so boldly about the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem as the price for Judah's national disobedience. So with that as a word of introduction, let me read for us Jeremiah chapter 26. Um, and you can find this on page 653 of the ESV. 
Hear now the word of God. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priest and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priest and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and the city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priest and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against the city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken us to the, in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord, and did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in, the words, in words like those of Jeremiah. 
And when King Jehoiakim, with all his warriors and all the officials, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan the son of Achbor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body in the, into the burial place of the common people. But the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So as we start, um, one thing that's distinct about um, this temple sermon uh, that Jeremiah gives in chapter 26 is this is the first time and only time that, that God adds this um, little phrase, do not hold back a word. So my first question for us to think about this morning is why? What is so important about this particular message of Jeremiah uh, that, that God says, I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, as he goes into the temple, as you say, he, he, this might be his last opportunity to speak to this loud or large of a crowd. Um, because as you say, he, he, to use our, our terminology, he gets canceled. <laughs> like 10 chapters from now, we're, we see he's having to write words down and have someone else go speak them, um, which kind of like gives the idea like, He's not allowed <laughs> to speak for himself in the same way. Um, so it's, a, yeah, like if, if we kind of think of this moment that his ministry is increasingly going to be constricted. Um, and again, constricted on account of what he says. Um, you know, it's the message. Um, and and he's, it's provocative of the place he's preaching the message, like adds to the provocation. Um, yeah, Greg. No, no, like, I, I, like, and the Uriah part, like, most people think this kind of got, like, tacked in, like, just to, it, as a signal, like, to give us historic, like, this is the only time we know about this prophet Uriah. This is it, like, um, this is in, his entire prophetic career is in this chapter. Um, so um, we're being given information at this moment. I think, yeah, two things, the contrast between Uriah fleeing to Egypt versus, you know, Jeremiah standing there and willing to take the consequences. Like, you know, notice he, he proclaims the message, 
um, go, gets taken to court, which we'll focus on in a little bit, proclaims the same message again, like, you know, unrepentantly. Um, like, he, he doesn't back down from what he said in the temple. He says the same thing in the courtroom, which is the temple gate, like, gate, gates were the, where courts met um, in this culture. So, like, he says the same thing. Like, he, he doesn't flee. So, so there, it, it could be a contrast between um, Jeremiah's willingness to stand and take the consequences um, where Uriah fled from them. It, but it also, I think, reminds us that this is a real death sentence. Like, you know, the people are really willing to put him to death. Like, sometimes we exaggerate, like, you know, the possible effects to us, or at least I do. <laughs> you know, like, or like, you know, how many times in my life said, I'm starving. <laughs> well, I'm not starving, I'm hungry. Like, you know, that's what we do. Like, this is not an exaggeration. Like, not only is he on trial, um, you know, for his life, a contemporary prophet um, who's also from the suburbs of Jerusalem that's come into Jerusalem and proclaimed this message. He too was put to death. And notice, like, it wasn't just, like, a convenient, oh, let's kill him. Like, they had to put effort into it. They had to send people down to Egypt, drag him back. Um, so, you know, I think it, it demonstrates, uh, you know, this, this willingness on the part of the king of Judah at this moment to put one, someone to death for a message he doesn't like. So this threat against Jeremiah is a real threat, and I think the story of Uriah uh, shows us that as well. So I think it, it does, like, emphasize Jeremiah stays even knowing that by proclaiming all these words not omitting any of them, and then proclaiming them again, <laughs> um, he is putting his life uh, at risk. Um, and it's a real risk. Yeah, every word counts. Every word is powerful. Every word can produce the effects that are in the word. Like, the, again, the offer to repent, if you give this evil up, I will relent of the disaster I was going to bring upon you. That is a real offer. That is a powerful word that he he's proclaiming. And by proclaiming that word, yeah, like, not to leave anything out because the word itself could produce the, the change. Um, I always think of, um, so, so two stories I always think about when I think of, yeah, the power of the word, of just the word of God. Um, when the Crystal Palace opened in London, if, and if you're familiar, it, it was this um, amazing 19th century feat of engineering using steel and glass uh, or iron and glass as to create this amazing structure um, in London. And Charles Spurgeon got asked to preach there. So he's like, well, I, I want to go test the acoustics. So they went after hours, like it was a big exhibit hall. So they went after hours, and he thought he was there 
all by himself, and he just spoke the word of God. Like, I can't remember what specific scripture verse it was. Meanwhile, in the bowels of the crystal palace, unbeknownst to, to Spurgeon, was a janitor <laughs> sweeping up. Um, and all of a sudden, he hears the word of God come from seemingly nowhere and, and became a Christian. Like, just hearing the words of God proclaimed, you know, as a janitor doing his job, coming from nowhere, changed this man's heart. Um, and then the other um, example I think of this um, A.W. Pink, uh, who went on to become um, a, a minister of the gospel, um, a, you know, a writer, you might have written, read some of the books he, he's read. Um, he, he didn't start off that way. He, uh, he started off his life um, committed to a kind of esoteric, philosophical religion, I don't know how you want to, theosophy. And he was big in the theosoph theosophical, that's hard to say, movement, um, and, but he was living at his parents, or staying with his parents one day, and as he was coming down the stairs to go out the door, his father just quoted scripture to him and said, there's a way in a man's own heart that he thinks is right, but leads to death. And <laughs> those words of, a, of the of word of God from the scripture at that moment, as A.W. Pink was going out the door, just the words themselves, and no other further sermon on the part of his father, just straight scripture changed his life. So yeah, Grant, I, it, you know, the word of God is so powerful. Every word counts and can, and can create the things um, that are spoken as we think, especially like the words of creation, like by God's word, the whole world, earth, everything that is comes into being by his word. Um, so yeah, at, at this moment and maybe his last opportunity to preach in this large um, setting and notice the emphasis on he's supposed to catch everybody, stand in the court of the Lord's house, speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the word, Lord, all the words that I command you to speak. Um, so it's literally like, as the people are coming into the temple, speak to them. And again, like speaking with not knowing, some people are going to hear and are, are going to be convicted. And then as we see others, it's going to produce a different kind of response. So why? All right, so, so he does what God tells him. He goes and preaches a message. Um, and uh, just, uh, I didn't mention this earlier, this is very similar. We saw another temple sermon or maybe another description of the same temple sermon. We don't have to get into that debate, but <laughs> there's a temple sermon in chapter seven that is very similar. So is it two different occasions or, if it, or is it two different accounts of the same sermon? Um, I don't know that that matters uh, that much. Um, but. But this time, what's emphasized in chapter 26 that we don't get back in chapter 7 is a description of the people's reaction. So why is Jeremiah's message so upsetting? And, and notice the, to the priest and the prophets and all the people. Why is it so upsetting that like, they, they want him to die? Yeah, Dave. 
Yes, so, uh, yeah, so as we see the prophets, and we're about to get into, like, a series of, um, of um, contests between Jeremiah and these other prophets. Like, in the next chapter, um, we see uh, Jeremiah, um, you know, he, he's, he's putting on this yoke, <laughs> Um, and this other prophet has come saying, look, no, I'm going to break the yoke. God says, I'm going to break the yoke. So, you know, Jeremiah is saying, Nebuchadnezzar is going to put a yoke on you. And this other prophet is saying the exact opposite. Um, you know, in chapter 28, we get Hananiah, uh, the false prophet. Um, so Jeremiah is saying one thing, uh, and then Hananiah is, is contradicting him. Um, and taking the yoke from, from Jeremiah and breaking it and, and saying the complete opposite thing. Jeremiah is going to write a letter to the people that have already been taken into exiles. The people in exile are going to write back, and the false prophets are going to say, no, your captivity is not going to be long. It's going to be short. So there are these, um, yeah, court prophets is the way they usually get labeled. And as you say, I, I like that label, you know, status quo prophets, people who are invested in the, the ritual system and the religious life as it is. Um, and, you know, they're there as part of what we might call the religious establishment, they and the priest. Um, they have a vested interest in things staying as they are. Um, they're benefiting from the current state of affairs, and they don't want to hear Jeremiah's message of, no, things, things have to change. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, for example, um, I put Psalm 48, uh, verses 1 and 2 in my notes. So they are, I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. They are thinking of verses like this. Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful its situation, the joy of the whole earth. It's Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So they're looking at all these, like, in the Psalms, um, you know, you have all this language that Yahweh has chosen Zion for his dwelling forever and ever. So they think just because they're in Jerusalem, they have the, the temple, that they are inviolable. Like, and not seeing it as Jeremiah, look, um, you know, and Jeremiah is not making us up. Again, he's going straight to Deuteronomy. We, in our Bible study last night, we, we, um, did chapter 11, and it's laying out, like, the blessing. If you do these things, you'll live long in the land that I'm giving you. You don't do them, all the curses will befall you, and I will very quickly <laughs> remove you from this land. Like, so they're taking God's promises that are conditional and making them inviolable. Oh, God said, we will always inhabit this land, so... We're safe. We can do whatever we want. Um, God said, this is my temple. This is my dwelling place. 
and they're saying, well, if we've got God's dwelling place, we're safe. <laughs> uh, we can do whatever we want. We don't have to listen to these words of repentance. So they are um, accusing him of blasphemy because they're saying, you're saying God's going to destroy his house and the city of Jerusalem. So you're saying God is going to destroy God's dwelling place and God's holy city. So they're their accusations and their response is, is that he's blasphemous. And if this sounds familiar, <laughs> um, there's this guy named Jesus <laughs> who said, I will destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. Uh, and he's accused of blasphemy, like at his trial. Like that's part of the false witnesses who, who come to his trial. You know, their, their accusation is that Jesus spoke against the temple. So that same idea is going to be brought up uh, later when, with the true prophet of God. Um, the true word of God comes to people. And they're, they're clinging to these externals rather than doing what the prophet's calling for, which is internal repentance. Other aspects of why they're upset, why they're accusing them. Yeah, Greg. So, yeah, so if you remember, um, good, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought up Shiloh because it is important because it's important to what he's saying is going to happen in this place. So Shiloh, if you remember, is where when they got into the land and set up the tabernacle and where the Ark of the Covenant uh, would stay, it was Shiloh. Um, so if you kind of think Shiloh was the temple before there was a temple. Um, it was Jerusalem before there was a Jerusalem. Um, and the Philistines uh, come in and wipe it out. Um, and, and it's destroyed, and it's like ruins are there at this moment as this kind of testimony to a place where God's, God had dwelled and is now a, a desolate place. So, um, so he's saying, when Jeremiah is saying, remember Shiloh? <laughs> That was a place where God's dwelling was. He, he dwelt there for a long time. And because of the people's sin, Shiloh was destroyed. Um, and the, the ark, you know, is, is carried off uh, for a time. Like, so he's, he's pointing back to, look, you think this place is inviolable because God dwelled, you know, has put his temple here. Well, God put his t tabernacle in Shiloh, and it got destroyed. <laughs> so, he, so what he's saying, when this place will be like Shiloh, for them, it's like this place is going to be, you know, wiped out. Um, it's it's going to be leveled um, by an enemy. Um, and so, yeah, so that part of the, the trigger word is by saying it's going to be like Shiloh, he's saying it's going to be destroyed like Shiloh. Okay, good. So uh, we get, uh, so the people come, they lay hold of him, and I, I, the language of like 
This is a disturbance in the temple. It's very much like when um, in, in, in Acts, uh, when the, the apostles go into the temple and preach, and they come and, and seize Peter and, and drag him immediately to the court. <laughs> like, this guy's just been prophesying. Uh, uh, you know, preaching in the temple. He, he healed someone in the temple gate. Um, he's a blasphemer. Um, that's what they're doing to Jeremiah. They come, they lay hold of him, and they take him to the gate. And again, gate is the, um, the courtroom. So verses 10 through 19, this is one of the most detailed courtroom scenes we get in the Old Testament. Like we could say Jesus' trial um, and the various trials we see in Acts are other kind of courtroom scenes. Um, but this is the longest one we get in the Old Testament. So we, we've already touched on um, uh, the idea Jeremiah is, is being brought forward. He's specifically being accused and charged uh, with blasphemy. They, they repeat uh, these words, this house shall be like Shiloh and the city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. So, so that's the, the charge, blasphemy against God's house, blasphemy against God's temple. Um, so how does Jeremiah defend himself? against these charges. So the, the prosecution has made their case. <laughs> now Jeremiah, uh, re uh, representing himself, <laughs> uh, speaks for the defense. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and I like the, the idea that, you, like, these are not my words, these are God's words. Like, I'm not the agent who's, who has, like, uh, I'm not an instigator. And, like, some, like, let's face it, there are people in life who instigate just because they like to instigate. <laughs> they like to go into a room that's nice and calm and, like, blow it up. <laughs> um, it, that's what, not Jeremiah. He's not, he hasn't gone into the temple to cause a disturbance for the sake of causing a disturbance. He's gone into the temple because God told him to go. Um, the things he said in the temple are the things God told him to say. Um, and he says them exactly the way he said them <laughs> in the temple. He says them again, even though, as his accusers say, you've heard all what he said. Like, so they say, like, everything he said, you heard. Like, our, our case should rest. And, and Jeremiah goes, he says the same things again. Um, but as, as Dave says, he's emphasizing they're not his words, they're God's words. I mean, you distinguish, like we saw this a couple of weeks ago, like you distinguish, is what the prophet's saying consistent with what God has already said? Um, like, you know, uh, is the prophet saying things that can be authenticated um, as true? It, there's that great scene we are in Kings uh, where, you know, all these prophets are, are telling the king, go to war, go to war, <laughs> and then, no, 
uh, there's like, and the, the northern king is like skeptical. And he's like, isn't there a prophet of God we can inquire? Yeah, there's this one guy, never says anything good about me. We can ask him. And, and you know, so you get that contrast between, um, as Dave said earlier, all these yes men surrounding the king and, and the rogue who is known as the true prophet of God. So um, there is this kind of, um, if you kind of think of it as a system, like the priest and prophets, again, have a vested interest. And, and, and by vested interest, like financial interest in the way things are, they're benefiting from the system. Um, a prestige interest in where things are, like they're the, the esteemed religious leaders, they get all the respect that their positions come. Like so, and Jeremiah, by his words, are, are calling all that into question because his message is the complete opposite of what their message is. His message is trying to get the people to change their ways, and their message is, all's well, all's well. They're peace, peace, and Jeremiah's saying, but there is no peace. Um, so I, I think he's... And instead, they're the ones in charge. <laughs> so, which is why... <laughs> No, um, but he is saying, my, my word is from the Lord. Um, and he, he's going to be proven right, like we saw this earlier. Like the guy who said, uh, you know, uh, countered Jeremiah and said, no, this isn't going to happen. And Jeremiah prophesied, no, you yourself are going to be taken captive and dragged into exile. And then you'll know my words are true, that they truly come from God. Yes, Cynthia. Yeah, they're weighing the, the evidence. And how are they weighing the evidence? How is what Jeremiah is saying, how does that fit with what God has said elsewhere? And this is, like, amazing moment, important moment from, like, a understanding of Scripture. This is the only time we have an Old Testament prophet directly, like, we have lots of allusions between prophets, but directly quoting another prophet. He is quoting the book of Micah. <laughs> like this is, uh, you know, in, in, or the, they are quoting the book of Micah here. Like the, and the, the story in Jeremiah has a direct quote from the prophecy of, of Micah. Um, so like, all right, how we assess, you know, is do we put Jeremiah to death for blasphemy? He's speaking in the name of the Lord. Hmm, back in the time of King Hezekiah, Micah spoke in the name of the Lord. He spoke a similar message about the city of Jerusalem, and Hezekiah didn't put him to death. In fact, Hezekiah listened 
to MICA, and the city was delivered. So yeah, they're looking to um, what God had said previously and, and making a judgment based on that. Yeah, Dave. So he, he sways the court. So like he sways the people and he sways the, the gathered elders. So it's like it's not a single judge, like it's a like a combined court. <laughs> so, so they accept Jeremiah's argument over the argument of the priest and prophets. Yeah, at the end, like, it singles one person out uh, who especially is noted for Jeremiah's defense. And it's, um, that family actually comes up a couple times in Jeremiah. And they, like, one of this guy's sons mentioned here is the one counseling the king not to burn Jeremiah's scroll <laughs> in ten chapters later. So, like, you know, you, you have some within Jerusalem who are listening to Jeremiah's message um, and are trying to be faithful uh, to the word of God. Um, and so, so Jeremiah ha does have defenders that come step forward. Now, they seem to be in the minority, but at this moment, they exonerate him.
Yeah, that, and I like, like, in our Bible study last night, we talked about um, the Deuteronomy 11. It sort of put this, like, you're either serving Yahweh or your heart is serving these other gods. Like, there isn't non-service. <laughs> uh, there isn't non-masters. <laughs> you're either God is your master or, or something else is your master. Um, there, there isn't, as you say, there is no neutral ground. Um, and, and notice in the, the response, like, it's not just the precedent of, of what Micah said, but they're acknowledging, did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord, and did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them, but we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. So they are wrestling with this very, what if he's right? <laughs> what if he's speaking the word of God? Um, then great disaster is about to befall us. And like the people did in Hezekiah's day, we should repent. Uh, we should turn from our evil ways, and maybe God will relent of the disaster just got, as God had relented in that moment. Um, so, so, yeah, it isn't just kind of like, uh, um, like ah, let's just shunt it aside. They, they see the importance of the issue at hand. Like, this is... This is serious. Like, this isn't just, okay, let's remove somebody who's saying some inconvenient things for us. They're, they're actually listening and taking into account, if this is true, great disaster is about to befall us. Yeah, and this goes back to, to, to Jay's question, like, how do we know a true prophet from a false one? Um, how do we distinguish between these two different messages? Does the message accord with what God already has said, or does it contradict what God has already said? Um, and Jeremiah's message is complete, like, again, it's super helpful um, to, to be reading Deuteronomy like, because like, the more we read Deuteronomy, the more I'm like, man, Jeremiah is not saying anything new at all. Like, it's just all coming. Like, he's just applying what God has said in the book of Deuteronomy and taking that and preaching it to the people. Like, yes, I know thus says the Lord, so it is kind of new things. But it's not new in the sense of uh, never been spoken before. Like, you know, it's God once again speaking through his prophets. And I love, like earlier, um, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I've set before you and listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, <laughs> though you have not listened. So you, you have this image of, of this God who over and over again is proclaiming the same message to his people 
over and over again. And as Matthew said, it's the same message that John the Baptist picks up in the New Testament. Like, it's, uh, we, we were, again, kind of laughing last night in, in our Bible study. Like, man, we've heard uh, Moses say this about 20 times before, uh, <laughs> and he's saying it again. He says it, things at the beginning of chapter 11, and then in the middle, and then at the end, <laughs> and he's going to say them again in chapter 12. Like, it's over and over and over again. God is proclaiming this message to his people um, to, to trust in him. Like, you know, not to, be de- not to let your hearts be deceived, um, but to trust in the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The land is the gift of God, um, it's, and it, but it's a conditional gift in the sense that you, I'm giving it to you. You get to keep it if you keep obeying me, following me, trusting in me, may, serving me, uh, rather than serving these other gods, um, you know, turning away from me to serve other gods. And, you know, we see that very same thing here, like, you know, you get to live in this land <laughs> um, that I've given you. If not, then you don't. Like it, It's going to be taken from you. Um, and it's going to be taken from you at judgment for you rejecting God, refusing to love God, and instead serving the gods of your own hands, um, you know, serving the things that are for, for your, in, your own interest, your own benefit, Rather, you know, trusting in things that aren't God um, and putting those in the place of God. Um, and again, it goes back to what Matthew said earlier. The, the idea isn't like, all right, you got the pro-Jeremiah party and they've got the anti-Jeremiah party and there are a bunch of people in the middle that are undecided. No, you're either service, serving God or you're, you're serving um, things that aren't God. Um, so... Uh, at the very end, um, and we touched a little on this earlier, but just to kind of focus on it, um, kind of stuck in at the end of the story, uh, we have the story of Uriah, the son of Shemaiah. And again, this is, this is pretty much it um, for our knowledge about uh, Uriah. Um, so, yeah, what is this, why is this story here? Like, what, what's emphasized about um, at this other prophet um, in the reign of King Jehoiakim, uh, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. Here on. Yeah. And, and so, so it's um, so it's he's saying 
Yeah, so notice there are no quotes at, from 20 on. So it's kind of like they, the court has stopped speaking. We've left the court scene. And so this is kind of tacked on at the end. So, so it's not a, um, Jeremiah is putting it there to remind us of this contrast, but the people themselves aren't discussing it. But you're exactly right. In the reign of the exact same king, you have a very different outcome. And notice that the King Jehoiakim is absent from the proceedings around Jeremiah. Like his name doesn't come up. Like we get all the priests, all the prophets, all the people, um, the officials, but, but King Jehoiakim is absent from the scene. Um, so I, I think, you know, as we think about this, like, so one scene, you have the officials coming to a decision um, acknowledging that Jeremiah is, is speaking in the name of God, speaking things consistently with what God's prophets had said before, versus this other guy where King Jehoiakim gets deeply involved and that guy ends up dead um, for saying you know, the same kinds of things that Jeremiah is saying. Yeah, and notice at the beginning of our chapter, like it doesn't just say King Jehoiakim, it, it says King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. So, you know, we, we've been <laughs> like reminded of, all right, this king here who's coming after someone like Hezekiah, someone who did repent, um, someone who did try to um, enact reforms, to, to restore the true worship of God, to drive out the worship of idols. Um, you, you have Josiah did this, Hezekiah did this. And, and what's Jehoiakim doing? He's sending people to Egypt <laughs> to track down a prophet of God, to bring him back and put him to death. Um, and again, later on we'll see, he's the guy who, who takes a knife to, to the word of God being presented by the prophet Jeremiah is cutting it into strips and just throwing it into the fireplace. Um, so I, I think we are being shown, like, these are the kinds of kings that have existed in Israel's history and practice the kind of repentance that Jeremiah is calling the people to, and, and God relented. Like, he spared um, uh, Hezekiah and Jerusalem from the Assyrians. Uh, he delivered them. Um, he was doing good um, in the reign of King Josiah, but that work, uh, that work of repentance is not being carried on by his son. Um, so it, it really is this kind of tragic circumstance, and it it's kind of like a downer after. Like, we, we get the acquittal, we get the right outcome of the trial, uh, of Jeremiah, but let's not be tempted into thinking, it's almost like the book, the chapter saying, don't be tempted to think that all is well after this moment and that the people did repent. Um, no, in fact, there was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord and, and King Jehoiakim tracked him down 
and put them to death. Um, and, and God, working through these other people, um, such as Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so he was not given over to the people to be put to death. So, you know, God is, again, fulfilling what God has said he would do for Jeremiah. I, I will put, <laughs> I will make you a tower. <laughs> I'm going to put a wall around you. Um, you know, your life is in my hands. Like, you just need to go do the things that I've told you to do, and I will protect your life. And, and here's a moment in which, you know, Jeremiah, like, I mean, the, the, the declaration, like, um, you know, you shall die. Like, <laughs> it, it's emphatic. Like, they, they like, it's, it's not just, well, you know, should we, should we not? No, <laughs> you shall die. Uh, that is their intention, and the the word of God um, is is what delivers Jeremiah. The word of God's what got him in trouble, and the word of God is is the means by which um, God delivered him. Um, as as y'all have said, like the, you have someone actually opening to uh, you know one of the other prophets and weighing Jeremiah's words by what God has said previously. Yeah, uh, all the priests, all the prophets, all the people laid hold of him, saying, you shall die. So, um, uh, yeah, um, and it's setting us up. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because it's setting us up, because that's what the next several chapters are, are going to be, this contest between Jeremiah and these other prophets uh, who are not true prophets of God, but are, as we'll see over and over again, are false prophets. Um, so we're beginning a section where, you know, these 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 two kinds of prophet are going to um, be in conflict with one another. Jeremiah being God's true prophet, and then these other prophets who are prophets of the establishment or the status quo or keeping things the way they are, rather than prophets trying to get the people to serve God um, through faith and repentance. Yes. <laughs> we'll, 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 get, we'll get that story. No, no. We, we got a long book. We'll, we'll get to all of it. We got to save some, like, we got to, like, plant things to come back, you know? Make it like, uh, um, I always think uh, um, the Count of Monte Cristo came out weekly, and it's kind of like weekly television shows, like, oh, it's a cliffhanger. So that's like, if you read Count of Monte Cristo, like every chapter ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's like, what's gonna happen next? And there are descriptions of people like gathered around Paris newsstands, like waiting for the next issue to come out. What's gonna happen? <laughs> um, that's the way I want you all to be with Sunday school. Like, what's gonna happen next? Except you can read ahead, so, Jay. Yeah, and, you know, like, I, I, the one thing I would say to just to, to remind us, it, let's not think of it like 
as a straight upward trajectory. It's, it's going to be more like us. <laughs> ups and downs. Like the ups tend to be more up. The downs tend to be less down. <laughs> but it's still like fluctuating. Um, like he, he does have moments because he's human. Um, he's going to struggle. Um, and we've seen like he is the most human of the prophets. So, um, so yes, he is learning to trust and to exercise that trust and step out in faith more and more. Um, but, but let's not um, think he doesn't also have the moments of like us. <laughs> uh, you're not, you know, you have those moments where um, you lose heart, um, and 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 the remedies for that, as we've seen from Jeremiah, is to go back to those promises of God. The more you trust in them, the more you learn how faithful God is, which instills more trust in you. But that that doesn't um, completely drive out doubts and fears and anxieties. Um, so, which is like, let's, all I'm saying, let's not hold him up as a Superman. <laughs> He's like us. Um, and, and um, which should be encouraging to us that like Jeremiah, we can rely on the word of God. We can speak to the word of God. Uh, we can trust in what God has promised us, um, just like we can, Jeremiah, trust in what God has said and, and leave the results. Um, you know, if, if you want to, uh, um, to kill me, <laughs> so be it. But, you know, no, you might be, you're, you're, you, be, you would be killing an innocent man. All right, well, let me uh, close this in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you um, for your word, uh, even as we talked about uh, this morning, um, that it is, um, it's powerful. Um, it, it works in the lives of people. It's, it gives us um, a, a, a guide to what is true um, and allows us um, uh, to, to know the ways um, that you've called us to serve you. Uh, we don't have to um, invent new things that you, you have, have laid the path before us. Uh, and have called us to obey. Help us to have uh, repentant hearts that are willing to turn to you in a humble faith um, and turn to our Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that we will um, fail and stumble, um, that our faith uh, will um, waver, and sometimes um, we will have doubts, um, but our assurance rests not on ourselves, but our assurance rests on the full and finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So help us uh, keep our eyes on him, uh, even as we come to worship him in this coming hour. Uh, may we worship him in spirit and truth, we pray, by the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and through your Holy Spirit. Amen.